This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. I am Francis. I am the Secret Keeper. There may be tears, as usual, triggers, laughter, profanity, a little bit of learning. So as always, you've been warned, make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax as I'm joined with Alison from Declutter, and she's going to share some secrets with us today. Welcome, Alison. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and joining me in my in in my room. Um, can you describe yourself for me in three words? I'd say I'm compassionate, quirky, and an, and an environmentalist. Oh, environmentalist. Yep. Yeah, nice. Tell me a little bit more about quirky. Well, I think quirky covers off being witty and funny, but a little bit left of centre. So, you know, I might on first meeting appear to be quite straight and serious, but I have a, a funny twisted side as well that always comes out when I'm working with clients and we get to have a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is a really good point to to, to mention that, that that we met in quite an odd quite an odd way. We did. We did. So would you like would you like to tell the story of how we met? So Canberrans would know about the launch of the tram. So the day after the tram ran, I decided to take my mum and my daughter into town for coffee. And on the way back, it was a very crowded tram and we were chatting away and I happened to meet Francis, who was going to the folk festival to do some poetry reading. And we got into a conversation. And we, we we exchanged cards and I've actually given your business card to a few of my clients who are struggling with with their space, their own, you know, the the, the happy the mental health in their space. Yep. Because you help people declutter their 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 their, their, their spaces, basically, whether they're their homes or offices. I do. And yeah. and through doing that I actually give them more mental space and I help clear emotional clutter as well. Because when you clear out your physical spaces, you clear out emotional, mental spaces as well. And you suddenly have room to breathe and clear space to see. It's an amazing process. Wow. How does how does clearing up somebody's space, how does that clear up their mental clutter as well? So clutter is always a symptom of something. It's never the actual problem. So lots of my clients will have experienced um, an accident, death of a family member, breakup of a relationship, um, a mental health crisis. And when we experience those things, our physical belongings tend to get out of control. Our regular life becomes disorganised. And as we start to come back to being grounded after that, whatever that experience was, we look around and we find that we're disorganised, our belongings are out of control and that you just don't know where to start. My clients come to me saying, I just don't know how to begin to regain my life. And so as we clear that physical space, what we do is we talk, we tell my clients tell the stories of the things that have built up over time and it's an emotional release 
as well as a physical release. And it, it, my client this morning actually ex- described to me that the boxes in her house are mirrored by boxes in her mind and that as we clear away each of those boxes, another box is taken out of her mental space and she feels that she can breathe more easily. And I really loved that that picture, that imagery of, of clearing of space because physical, physical clutter leads to mental clutter. There's, you know, there's a really strong connection there. Okay. What sort of things do people get rid of when they're decluttering? All sorts of amazing things. I had a client who had every single mobile phone that he had ever had and I think he had 15 of them. And so, and he had kept them all just because they they might come in handy and most of them were, you know, they were extinct essentially. They were a dinosaur of mobile phones. And so we took a photo of them and then I donated them to the e-waste and he really enjoyed getting them out and looking at them and I'm, I, ha- I do follow a lot of Marie Kondo's um, Does It Spark Joy and thanking it for its service. So by telling the story of each of those mobile phones, he really was thanking them for their service and that allowed him to get rid of them. But, you know, other people get, you know, they might be moving from a large home into a smaller smaller space and they'll get rid of clothes, furniture. I, I take a lot of books to Lifeline carloads and carloads of books to Lifeline, so much so that most of the volunteers know me by name. Oh, you'd probably have fun at my place then. And, you know, that's <laughs> great. It's book, books, books are something that are really hard for people to get rid of and um, it can be, it's quite cathartic getting rid of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I was uh, saying just as we were preparing for this and doing sound check that I um, I have a house inspection uh, tomorrow and most people who would who actually know me know how much I loathe and detest cleaning. Um, it's so far down my bottom of priority list, it's not funny. But I just got to the point where I just threw a whole heap of clothes out and you told me a really interesting, you told me a really interesting number. I did. So what we find is that people wear... 20% of their wardrobe 80% of the time, which is crazy when you think about it. And the number of items in people's wardrobes, uh, in the 1950s, a woman would own uh, on average 13 dresses and now the average Australian owns in excess of 350 items of clothing. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's, it's startling when you think of it. And I've got clients that we have just donated their entire washing basket because it's full. It's absolutely packed full and they wouldn't even remember what was in the bottom of it. And, in Mm. fact, there have been some surprises where the person said, oh, I thought I got rid of that. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) it's always, as I said, it's always worth a giggle. But, yeah, the things that are in the back of your wardrobe, we just moved house. I got rid of 15 pairs of shoes. I am the Imelda Marcos of Canberra. (laughs) Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I would I, I I actually have a I have a small I have a small room in my house and I have all my shoes laid out. So yeah, no, I could easily and I haven't probably even been in that room for three months. 
Okay. So, so yeah. My advice to you then would yeah, be Yeah, I know, just get rid of them. If you don't wear them, why are you holding on to them? But yeah. if you if you were to tell me that you had a room full of shoes and you went in every day and you chose a different pair of shoes and it gave you immense pleasure oh, yeah. wearing those shoes, then I would say keep them. Because yeah. I will never tell anyone what to get rid of. Yeah. I tell tell them it, it will describe to them the ways in which they decide the things they should keep. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's 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 really interesting. So how did you how did you start with the how did you start with helping people declutter? <laughs> well, it's a bit of a strange story really. Yeah. There you go. Here comes the quirkiness. So I had a um a knee replacement 5 years ago and it didn't go to plan and I ended up in a machine that bent and straightened my knee for about 23 hours a day and you know what there's no escaping from that so I spent a lot of time reading and looking on the internet and I came across um professional organizing which I hadn't really heard of in terms of you know ordinary people using it and I said jo- very jokingly to my partner Rob oh just as my retirement career, I'm going to become a professional organiser. Just to note, I was 45 at the time. And anyway, this knee, it didn't, it didn't get better in the way that I intended. And I actually couldn't go back to the job that I'd been doing in communications. And then my 18-year-old daughter was in Vanuatu when the Category 5 cyclone hit. And she went missing for eight days. Um and when we say missing, we thought we knew she, where she was in the village, but we had absolutely no contact with her. And I just thought DFAT would go and find her, and they didn't. And eventually we made the Air Force made contact with my daughter and we discovered that she'd been without food and water for eight days, that they had been cracking coconuts to give the little children drinks, and that about five days after the storm passed, there was a whole stack of flying um, flying foxes, fruit bats, and so the little boys got slingshots and shot them down and that's what they'd been eating. And these, so these people who had nothing looked after my daughter so well and it made me really reconsider the way I lived my life and that was that in combination with reading about professional organising and having this life-changing event with my knee made, started me on a journey of becoming a minimalist. And whilst I don't, that's not something that I expect of my clients. Indeed, you know, decluttering isn't about minimalism. But it changed, those two events changed my life. And we now, we continue to support the school in the village where, where Zoe was volunteering. Um, and we just have completely downsized our lives. And the, th- the lessons that I learned, I've been able to share with others. And that's really what I do. So, yeah. Systems to simplify people's lives. And how different is what you do now to what you were doing in corporate communications? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very different because I used to work in community engagement, so basically selling a government plan to the community, whether it was really in their best interests or not. And that hurts. <laughs> that hurts to admit that. <laughs> and I did. I, I do have to highlight that the, the, the listeners can't can't hear the eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is true. I um, look. I loved the work that I did, and I I tried to always do it with integrity. But what I find now is that I help people in real ways 
every day. And when I first started to do professional organising, I just thought that I'd be going in and helping people organise their linen cupboard or get their kitchen cupboards back in order. But what I discovered was that with, and it was also timed with the introduction of the NDIS here in Canberra. So a lot of my clients came through um, Atticast, which is a, which supports people with mental health issues. And so I began working with clients that had complex mental health issues and we had to unpack what was happening there in order to see what was happening in their houses. And that was not what I expected. And the amount of growing and learning I have done alongside my clients has been incredible. I actually credit them with the fact that I'm a much more interesting and open-minded person now. And, you know, there's you, you can't thank people enough for that. And the fact that also I can go to someone's house for three hours and walk out the door knowing that I've made a difference, that's incredible and really uplifting. And I bore all of my friends with stories about my clients all the time. <laughs> so you've been, you've been helping people with this with this now for five years, four years? Four years. Four years. Yeah. Four years. How much do you think you've changed as a, as a result of doing this work? Oh, I've changed incredibly. I now have, and that's why one of my words was compassionate, because the thing I have really learned is how different and yet how the same we all are and how misunderstood people with complex mental health issues are and that mental mental health wellness is something that we all struggle with, but we are not still not open to having that conversation, even though the media would tell us otherwise and campaigns being run would tell us otherwise. Some of my clients are really socially isolated and I, in fact, I, I had a client who I was the first person who had been in his house for three years. And so that's, these people trust me with their secrets. They trust me with their stories and that has changed me. And, oh, definitely for the better. I think that I used to be probably badge of honour busy, whereas now I take life slowly and I walk my, make sure I walk my dogs every day and that I look at the blue sky and I just appreciate things around me because my clients have actually shown me that it's the little things that are important in life, not the money or the race or the finish line, whatever we imagine that to be. Do you think there's a finish line? No. No, I don't. Actually, I think it's, and I don't think, well, if it's not a race, then there can't be a finish line. It's just a continuum. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people do think that it is a race. They do, and it's exhausting, and that's why their stuff builds up as well, because we're at a time when really, as a society, we've never been safer, we've never had more money, interest rates for those who own homes has never been lower, we're constantly bombarded being told we need stuff. And so to not want stuff and to not think that life is a race and to not be busy, it's counterculture. And so it actually takes a level of bravery to step away from that. And I think that's one of the things my clients have shown me, just how to be brave and how to go, actually, no, I'm going to get off this. I don't like this ride. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah, yeah. 
Some of my friends think I'm nuts. My mum is a bit worried about me. Oh, really? What does your mum think? Yeah. Wait, really? How can you get rid of all of those things? And she's 84. You know, my dad's been dead for 16 years now and my mum lives by herself and her her two-car garage is completely full of books. And I said to her, would you like a hand to sort out your books, mum? Because she goes to the Lifeline Book Fair and brings home more books. And she reads mysteries, so she never reads them again, but she can't bear to part with them. And so for me, downsizing my book collection was really hard for her because what it was, it was like someone was holding up a mirror to her. And I think that's what people find what I'm now doing as a minimalist challenging because I'm getting, I'm saying, I don't need this. I, I, I don't have to have all these books to remember the story. I don't have to have this item to keep the memory of it. I don't need this postcard to know that my f- friend thought of me when she was overseas. And those are the things that people hold dear because they think their memories are material belongings and they're not. They're the stories attached to those belongings. Yeah. So you also mentioned earlier on that you are a or an environmentalist. I did. I did. Um, I first became aware of environmental environmentalism as a thing when I was about ten with the um, damming of the of the Franklin River in Tasmania. My dad was very passionate, um, and from that time. And then I was a student in the late 80s and the early 90s when there were big protests and marches. Uh, and so I've always been an environmentalist. I chained myself to a tree to prevent um, wood chipping um, by, by down in the coastal rainforests. Um, I was on TV um, marching for all of the things I believed in. And, you know, I told my kids these stories. They're now 21 and 23. And recently my son said, you know, Mum, when you told me that story, I just thought you were some kind of weirdo. Now I think it's really cool. So it's nice to see that environmentalism has come full full circle but and really fantastic for me to see that young people care mm. and that um, perhaps... The, there is now a groundswell of understanding about the environment, um, and it, and although our government isn't doing nearly as much as it should be, people are becoming aware and changing, and I I think that's really important. Yeah. Is there a photograph of you chained to a tree somewhere? There absolutely is. Wearing khaki army cut off pants and a um, you know no mining T-shirt or something, maybe a midnight oil T-shirt, something really clichéd. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always, uh, I, I saw a, um, I think it was a BuzzFeed article about, you know, the things that our parents did that we thought were really daggy but actually nothing will ever be cooler. Yeah. And I think there was a picture of somebody in a very similar position to you and, the, 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 you know, the caption underneath it was, nobody will ever be as cool as my mum chained to a tree. Is that, oh, I love that. Yeah, I get, yeah. That, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't. I think when I describe myself as an environmentalist, I've done all of those things. I did those things when I was young. But what I've continued to do is care for the environment as much as I can. So 
my chant, for want of a better word, has always been think globally, act locally. So, you know, I try to run a plastic-free household, always um, have recycled for as long as possible. I believe in a circular economy, so I'm involved in the Buy Nothing groups. Um, I donate to charity. I buy secondhand clothing. I have a lot of plants so that, you know, carbon traps Yes, and uh, we are surrounded by gorgeous, gorgeous plants, (laughs) which was, in fact, the first thing I commented on when I came into your office. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I have, uh, I've I've, I've always been very passionate about plants. I actually don't have many plants at home because mainly I don't spend a lot of time there and it's quite dark, so not a lot. But in this room, it's so beautiful that I've sort of gone, I can have plants and they'll live. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Not only are they living, they are thriving. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually doing uh, they're actually doing quite well. So, but yeah, so plants and you're a keen gardener as well. I am, yeah. But one of the um, things I find with my clients is lots of them ha- have are really passionate about reusing things and not things not going to waste. So that's another reason that things build up. Right, so, so they keep things so that they don't because they don't want to just chuck them away. Yep, they don't want them to to go to landfill. So what I have is a list of all of the places that can can where you can recycle things or um, dispose of them in a thoughtful way, and and it's really interesting because H and M as an example they're um, fast fashion, yes. but they have a a um, fabric recycling program. So if you've got clothes or old sheets and or things like that that can't be used, they're not of use to anybody else, take them into H&M and they will be made into insulation. Right. I I was in IKEA the other day because I have not quite got into the buy nothing thing. Um, I was in IKEA the other day and they had bags, shoulder bags and carrier bags made from recycled cotton and crisp packets. Sorry, chip packets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so English. Uh, Chris, yeah, so the, the, the shiny, but and they had wo- they had woven them. Oh, fantastic. Oh, they were great. Yeah. I didn't buy one because I didn't need one. Good. I didn't want to see. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, but they were great. And I was looking at them and I was sort of like, well, what are they? And then I saw the sign and I was looking and it was, it was they were made from recycled chip packets and cotton. Which is fantastic because cotton is so water heavy it's, oh, it's huge yeah yes. yeah so as an example my dogs I have two dogs they're very spoiled um mm. they needed new beds so I did a bit of research and there's a Melbourne based company that makes these beautiful beds for dogs but the stuffing of the beds is made from recycled PET bottles so those plastic bottles but the outside of them is organic Australian cotton that uses low water and the best thing about these beds is if you decide that you don't want it anymore you send it to them and they will refurbish them and give them to um, dog shelters and the other thing that they every single piece you can rebuy Uh, like so I if my if the cushion on the bed wears out I can buy a new cover for that so they're meant to last so you know cheap beds that you buy from a, a uh, you know, an outlet store, yeah. 
they'll they'll last your dog about three months and then they have to go to landfill. These beds that I've got should last not just the life of this dog but the next dog as well. So going very old school where everything was, things were actually built to last rather than to wear out in 12 months and be chucked away and so you have to buy a new one. Yep, and reducing your carbon footprint by using a local company, so Melbourne-based, and they are transported by truck rather than plane. So, again, reducing your impact on the environment. And the best bit is they're really comfy for the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing I try and do. Okay. Wow. So, and are your, are your children now involved in, in environmental causes as well? My daughter, um, the one that went to Vanuatu is very, she has just come back from 10 weeks um, volunteering in Fiji um, working on um, a health project there and education about um, recycling as well. So, yes, I have passed that on to them but, and they're very anti-plastic, which is a good thing. Um, my son is very, very passionate about global warming and he's quite political in his views um, and very disenfranchised franchised by um, our current government, which I... Can completely understand, but no, he, I don't think he would be alone there. No, that's right. But he, you know, his he and his friends are interested, and they are trying to make change at ground at grass level. So yeah, I think I have um, influenced my children positively. They might say it was negative earlier on when they couldn't have mini packets of chips to take to school, but you know, they survived. <laughs> Did they have apples and oranges instead? Yeah, they like fruit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure you weren't doing anything bad to them, that's for sure. No, no. And I'm sure they still got their chips. I'm sure that they in, in that, that that buy nothing economy, I'm sure, was uh, happening in the school in the school ground. Oh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> but no, we would buy big bags of chips and you could have some out of that. Right. You know. Oh, so it wasn't like they weren't getting chips at all. No, oh, that just would not be mean. the little ones. Yeah. <laughs> I um I uh, many years ago, um a friend of my uh, of my ex-husband, he she was she was a vegan before it was um, really a thing, mm. and they had a uh, they had a little girl. And when we when when we got married on the table on each of the tables we had like a bowl of like a bowl of lollies like yeah. the you know the like the flumps and the chippies and marshmallows and stuff like that. And these parents wouldn't even let their three year old who was running around the only child at the whole wedding was not allowed to consume any of these sweets because of their parents. But the thing I always found really, really highly amusing was that she was wearing a pair of leather trousers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it is interesting because one of my son's friends became a vegan and she had leather shoes and he said to her, why are you wearing those leather shoes? And she said, well, I owned them before I became a vegan. The animal has already given up its life for these shoes, to throw them out would be wasteful. So I wear them until they're worn out. So maybe that's what it was. But by the same thing, when my son had his, I think it was his ninth birthday, a child came who had never been allowed to eat lollies and he ate lollies until he vomited. And I didn't know that he didn't have lollies. All the kids knew. And so I had this poor vomiting child who just wanted to eat more lollies. I went to Amsterdam with a uh, with a girl like that. <laughs> <laughs> She'd never been allowed alcohol. Oh, she was she was uh, 
Yeah, so when I was at art college, we went to Amsterdam to see the uh, the Night Watch by Rembrandt. It was a terribly dull picture. And um, I really wanted to go to the Van Gogh Museum, but it was closed for refurbishing. And I've never yet, still haven't been. And she had discovered alcohol. And we were there for four days. And I, I, I spent three nights that we were there doing the same thing as just basically cleaning up after her because she just... Talk about while the cat's away, she oh. just went for it. And it's that yeah. whole thing about everything in moderation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you're you've you, you've been setting it a great example for your children, and they're carrying it on now. So going back to um, your 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 work. Yep. When you when you made that when you made that change when you were in at home on the machine with your knee being manipulated. How was that for you? So I look back at that now and see clearly that it was a crisis point. Um, I suffer from chronic pain as a result of that knee injury. So it, I had the knee replacement. I've now had 16 procedures on that knee. I've also had a hip replacement as well on the same side. Um, I... I'm a bit of a, I love facts and figures and statistics, you know, that's my wardrobe one before, but I was horrified to learn that 90% of people with chronic pain suffer from depression and or anxiety. In fact, they have a mental health crisis at some point, and I had one of those myself. I was trying to get back to work into a different job um, at a lower level than the one I was doing, and because the people I'd worked with knew what I was like before this incident happened, they had an expectation that even though I was coming to work for two hours a day, two hours a week, you know, but I think I started with two, I got up to eight hours a week and they thought that I would be able to do the same level of work I was doing. I was on all sorts of medication. My brain was a complete fog. Um, and I got drove into the car park and I remember looking at the building and I just looked at it and I realised that I couldn't go in. I physically could not get out of the car. And I sat there for a little while longer and I've got no idea how much time passed. And then I got out my phone and I rang my doctor's surgery. And I was well known at that doctor's surgery by then. And the receptionist said to me, just come in. And so I went in and I never, ever set foot in that building again. That was the last time I went to work as um, in that um, communications role and I had days where I would wake up and think, is this the day that I just don't get out of bed? Is this the day that I pull the doona over my head and really hope that the world goes away? And I would consider myself an op an optimist. I've always been, I always have a plan. I'm always looking forward to things. I, you know, see the good in everything. I drive people nuts, really. And for me to feel that way and to have to acknowledge that feeling was terrifying. Mm -hmm. It was like being in free fall mm -hmm. and there was no one that could save me except me. Mm -hmm. And yes, I could get help, but at the core of this, it was me. I had to make a decision to get for, to move forward. So every morning I got out of bed 
even if I didn't want to and even if I, um, you know, it wasn't early, I still did. And then one day we couldn't find the milk in the fridge. It wasn't in the fridge. Where was it? We uh, Looking everywhere. And I'd put it in the cupboard. Uh, I, and it was at that point that I said, what is going on? And then, and it's really it, a bottle of milk is was my turning point. And that's when I started to get really get the help I needed and to and I I I did a yoga retreat and on the last day of that and it was about it was actually a happiness program so it was about regaining your happiness and doing some yoga as well and on the last day we were just having a conversation and someone said if you could do any job you wanted to do what would it be and I said oh I'd love to be a professional organizer and this person said I've got a friend who's a professional organiser, she's going on mat leave. Would you like to meet her? And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, so I think that struggle has really given me insight into my clients and perhaps that is why I naturally gravitated towards people whose clutter is mental and emotional as well as physical done any training around supporting people with those mental health disorders? Yep. So so I was already a qualified life coach and a business coach through my work and I've done a mental health first aid course and I have done various courses through the Institute of Professional Organisers for people. um, So one of the courses I'm currently doing is... um, is helping people with hoarding disorder. So giving me, because I have worked with people with that condition and um, so this is just giving me a bit more insight. Mm. Um, I found the Mental Health First Aid course really, really helpful. The the two-day one? Yep, but it was specifically for professional organisers. So everybody there, so all of the case studies were geared towards what we're doing. Um, Yeah, so... Bits and pieces, but I, I, the, one of the things I say to my clients is, I'm not a cleaner, and I'm not a and I'm not a therapist, mm. but together we can make a difference in your life. Mm. And and again, it comes down to the storytelling, I think. Yes. And having fun. Yeah. And we always cry. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you cry with your clients. <sighs> yes. Yeah, because their stories are really powerful and some of the things that have happened to these people, apart from the fact I want to rail against society, I, it's awful. It's heart-wrenching. Yeah. It's funny because I, um, I, as I said at the beginning of this post, cleaning for me is the lowest of the low and I, because I've got this, this, uh, this um, inspection coming up tomorrow, I... Basically, I had so much stuff to do and I ended up talking to two people on the telephone yesterday and while I was talking to them on the telephone, I managed to sort my laundry out and clean my kitchen. I find it really, really difficult doing housework on my own. Yep. And that's sometimes, that's what I say to people, I'm just your cheerleader. I'm here to encourage you to do things. And I've got clients that say, Alison, you keep me accountable. I know that when you're coming, 
we will do these things. And I am very much, I don't give, I don't like this idea of people having homework. And so I don't set tasks in between. But sometimes people get really, they, you know, they get lifted up after our sessions and they will do things between their sessions. But other clients, they wait until I'm there and they've got a list. I'm just (laughs) knocking the microphone, (laughs) sorry. Um, Yeah, they've got a list of things that they want to do with me and we get through those those things while I'm there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the important that's the important thing. It's that it's that having that support and I think having a witness to yes. those experiences and that and those life stories that yes. people share is actually the the, the, the the important part for them. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're coming up to the end. So just in in closing, and as I ask all all, all my all my guests this. What do you see is the mental health future of Australia? So I've thought about this question a lot and I think I'd like to put it in context of what I do. Mm. And unfortunately, I think that I am going to see a lot more people with decluttering problems before things get better because, you know, I spoke before about how fast-paced our life is and how you know, you said the people see it as a race and a competition and, you know, you need the biggest and the best of everything and people buy those things and then when their lives fall apart, there's, they're just surrounded by stuff that means nothing. And there's going to be more fallout from our fast pace of life. So, therefore, I think I'll probably see more people suffering the same way as my clients are. And that's a really unfortunate side effect of our current society so of the more 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 now 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 absolutely so I think that's a bit grim like what does the future look like but I also believe that there are more conversations happening and if people like me tell my story and it it opens up another avenue for conversation about mental health issues and I like to talk about mental health wellness because it's important to focus on getting well and if I can help in a little way, then I will. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Alison. Thank you to my guest, Alison, for sharing her secrets today. Thanks to Nick, my podcast guy and sound guru, for doing the things that he does with sound. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening and subscribing and rating. It really does make a huge difference to getting listeners If you have a secret to share, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email via secretkeepercounselling.com.au. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider sponsoring sponsoring Secrets We Share at Patreon by searching Secrets We Share. There's a link in the blog post on my website. Until next time, thank you again and stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.